What's up, everybody? Hope everyone's doing well. I know life's crazy in the year 2020, so I think things are maybe becoming a little bit more normal and we're getting into the routine of, of this new world we live in. But I always appreciate you guys listening, appreciate the feedback, and I hope you enjoy the content. Uh, the interview we have today I think is really cool. I know we had Charlie on before, which was cool. So a lot of fun, interesting content. And again, if you ever have recommendations or content you want to hear, feel free to, to reach out. Um, we're going to be sitting down with Zach Long today. He's also known as the, the Barbell Physio on uh, the social networks. Uh, but Zach's a DPT. He runs and owns a couple PT clinics out in North Carolina. Um, he also teaches with the Institute of Clinical Excellence and their fitness athlete division, where he kind of blends or helps practitioners understand the needs of CrossFitters, powerlifters, weightlifters. He's a SCS certified, sports certified, CrossFit trained certified. He's got SFMA credentialing. Um, but you'll see in this talk is his exposure to the population is clearly there. His knowledge is there and his methodology is well thought through. So I think that's kind of the underlying principle and one of the main reasons why I wanted to get him on to kind of pick his brain on things. Um, but we talk a lot about a lot of fun stuff. So, I mean, we break down movement patterns of deadlifts and squats. We go over progressions and regressions. Um, we talk about difference in training, like a CrossFit athlete versus a power lifter versus Olympic lifter. Um, yeah, and so we get into maybe even kind of some of the assessments and evaluations as well, kind of teasing out what he would actually look at in the clinic and how he utilizes maybe what he does on the table to what he's doing underneath the bar. Um, yeah, there's a lot of even more fun content in there, so I, I know you'll enjoy. I hope you, you enjoy listening, and again, I just appreciate Zach making the time. And without further ado, Zach Long. Zach, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk today. I'm excited to kind of pick your brain on a few things here. I feel like in in PT in general, we've made a push in the last 10, 15 years of getting away from therabands and leg raises and modalities and <laughs> trying to do more and more loading and functional training and actually like strength and conditioning work. Uh, I feel like you and your colleagues have been a big part of that push. I'm kind of interested to hear your insights on things, but before we get into it, uh, for people who don't know who you are, just give a little background and yeah, where okay. you at, what you doing. Yeah. I'm a physical therapist in Charlotte, North Carolina. So uh, I own a couple different businesses. Uh, my clinic is Onward Charlotte. And then my website, which most people know me by my website or social media, is The Barbell Physio. So actually, we, we joke all the time with my friends, like nobody introduces me as Zach Long. Everybody just says, hey, this is The Barbell Physio, <laughs> aka Zach Long, because then more people know who, uh, who they're talking to. Yeah. But I, I started out working in strength and conditioning when I was in uh, undergrad at the University of North Carolina and realized that wasn't quite what I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing and ended up going to physical therapy school and, and I'm now fortunate enough to be in a spot where I can kind of combine all of that stuff and, and share the knowledge that I have between those two worlds um, with a lot of people. Yeah. And so that's, that's awesome. what I spend the majority of my time focused on. And then do you have like mentors or turning points in your career or a book that kind of shaped you or what are some influences for you? Oh man, book-wise. Yeah. Um, I'd say book-wise, probably my favorite book ever is Raving Fans by Ken Blanchard, which is just how I try to uh, go about setting up all of my businesses where you just want yeah. to, to over-deliver and figure out what your, your process is there from over-delivering. 
Um, if we're staying on the business route, Good to Great is another fantastic book that yeah. I like reading. Uh, it just always gives me insights into my various businesses. From a mentorship standpoint, um, I was fortunate to have a couple of people early on in my career that didn't put in as much into me from a clinical standpoint of clinical skills, but really taught me how to uh, communicate with patients and build that rapport, which early on in my career was probably what I, I missed more of. So I'm glad I had those people early yeah. on in my career. Yeah. And then over the last few years, um, my two business partners are probably my two biggest mentors when it comes to improving my clinical skills. So my business partners are Jeff Moore. He's the owner of the Institute of Clinical Excellence, which is a continued education company. And then my business partner, um, Jordan Berry. So he owns Onward Charlotte and Onward Physical Therapy with me, or both of those guys do. Um, Jordan, Jordan, funny enough, man, he was, he was out of school for just a year. He'd done a year of residency before yeah. we opened this clinic up together. And um, he has pushed me clinically more than anybody I've ever met. It was, it was <laughs> humbling to, to be an yeah. eight-year physical therapist with somebody that's a new grad that like literally I would end every single evaluation with thinking, what would he have done differently? Yeah, yeah. And then we got a student intern, uh, yeah. Kelsey Kramer, who we have now hired. And yeah. I do the same thing with her. Every time I finish an evaluation, I think, what would Kelsey and Jordan have done different? Yeah. So that, I think it's kind of funny. I've been a PT eight years and I got a guy that's been out for, for two years now and a, and a girl that's been a PT for three months. And I consider them my mentors because they challenge me and make me better every day. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, all right, so what I want to talk about today is I don't know, powerlifting, barbell, CrossFit. We'll just put all that into one group, whatever we want to call that. And particularly like the rehab side of that and how we facilitate getting back to your sport or hobby for that as quickly as possible. I mean, I want to say bridging the gap, but really we should be doing this sooner and the gap should be smaller. But um, yeah. where, where do you think... PTs in general, in regards to just knowledge, need to do better. Where do you think we have gaps in our transition into powerlifting, CrossFit, barbell rehab? Start from a, a, a bigger picture. What's our, yeah. I think our biggest gap, and then I'll say, because this was yeah. my biggest gap, and I still, yeah. when I travel around the country teaching courses to other PTs, I see this regularly as the gap. I think we, we think that we're analyzing a lot of stuff, but we're not meticulous enough with how we do it. And so let's say you're looking at somebody's hip mobility. Like, are yeah. you testing it in the exact same position every time? When you set somebody up from a, for a straight leg raise test or a slump test, do you have a specific procedure that you go into every single rep? Because if you change the angle of the treatment table on their cervical spine and you test and retest their straight leg raise, you have yeah. done a completely different test. So from a big picture, we just have to get unbelievably meticulous on making sure our, our test retests are better. From there, I don't think we get a whole lot of training in how to actually analyze human movement yeah. and how to break that down systematically when somebody is having an issue. We tend to look at a movement like a squat and immediately, you know, if somebody has an issue with the squat, we immediately want to start testing joint by joint. And I think we've never focused as a profession on understanding how to coach human movement yeah. enough. And I think that's where we need to start when we see a movement related issue. Um and then once you kind of have those answers, it's then about, do we actually do a good enough job of identifying the stimulus that is needed to create the adaptation that we want? So if we say we need to strengthen somebody's glutes and they're a CrossFitter that deadlifts 350 pounds and we give them, you know, three sets of 20 yeah. glute bridges, we didn't yeah. do anything for that human being. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Uh, so you got to know the stress that they're putting themselves on and kind of correlate your rehab or your training yeah. to that. And yeah. So you always got to look at what's the end goal. Yeah. You know, it's to run a mile. All right. To run a mile. How do we get there? We have to run 800 meters. We have to run 400 meters. We have to walk pain-free and just breaking things like that down. What are the steps that would lead to that ultimate goal? And I don't think enough people kind of roadmap that out. Yeah. Yeah. So then if someone's not lifting a barbell for whatever reason, how do you, how soon do you want the PT collaborating with the, the strength coach or the gym owner? How do you envision that collaboration going as smoothly as possible? Ideally, the sooner, the better, but what are some things you So if somebody's injured and not working out, how, how, do, how do we communicate that with the coaches? Yeah, I would say they're a CrossFit athlete and they're usually going five or six days a week, but they can't train because of whatever, a shoulder injury or something. How do yeah. you... How do you want the PT or how would you envision that collaboration working? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in an ideal setting, obviously you get time to go over there and talk to the yes. coach, the strength and conditioning coach, but let's be honest, like we're all really, really busy Yeah. and you don't have time and they probably don't have time to coordinate a 15 minute discussion around this individual. Yeah. So I typically keep it pretty easy. So I have a sheet that I have, you know, a hundred of these printed out in my office that has all the foundational movements that a crossfitter and Olympic lifter or power lifter would see, which is who I typically treat. Yeah. And I'll sit down with the patient at the end of that initial examination and we'll take five minutes and we'll go through all of these movements and I'll, you know, put a check mark on that. Yeah. You're hundred percent fine to front squat based on what you've told me. Like you tolerate that load really well. When a back squat shows up, what do we think here? Do I write, all right, let's, let's change the tempo with your squats. Let's change the loading with the squats, or let's just sub it out for front squats. Yeah. And so I typically give somebody a sheet like this. And then my instructions to them are take this to your coach and you and your coach have a discussion around this. Cause your coach knows the intended stimulus of the workout yep. that they have in front of them better yeah. than I do yeah. when I'm not looking at their programming consistently. Yeah. And so to me, that makes it the, the easiest way for all three of us, the athlete, the coach and myself to have good communication yeah. because that is just a suggested sheet for them. I feel like I'm not stepping on the coach's toes by saying, this is what they have to do. You have to listen to me. I want that athlete and that coach to have a discussion and then it's covered with my branding all over it. So then it's, it's, it's yeah, yeah, marketing yeah. for me. <laughs> Smart. Um, so if you're a PT, maybe you're new out of school or you're trying to get interested in, you know, working with this population, What's some basic equipment you recommend having? Obviously a barbell. Like if you're trying to set up a rehab clinic to kind of meet your client's needs, because often it's just a, a table and bands, right? Yeah. So if you're PT uh, listening to this, I do have yeah. an ebook that is free that outlines yeah. all my favorite equipment that you can oh, find. I like it. It's okay. somewhere, somewhere on my website. Or actually, if you go to ptonice.com, there's uh -huh. a resources tab and you can find it inside of that resources oh, tab. perfect. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you want to treat CrossFitters, Olympic lifters, and powerlifters, you need to have a barbell. Yes. Because you need to have yeah. the ability to watch those individuals do those movements under load. It's yeah. not enough to just look at their body weight squat that will give you some good insight into what might be happening with load, but it for sure will not be the complete picture on what happens under load. Yes. So that's number one. Um, from there, um, you know, I, I wish every physical therapy clinic in, in the world had a set of kettlebells. I think kettlebells yeah. are just so easy to teach people how to do I kettlebell agree. deadlifts and goblet squats and things like that. They take up very little space. They're relatively inexpensive. Like a barbell takes up a good bit of space. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's going to be what, eight, nine feet long. You got yep. bumper plates. You maybe have a rack that takes up a good bit of space. A set of kettlebells takes up nothing yep. and, and costs less than, you know, buying a salt bike. Yeah. Um, if you have that, you probably don't need to get a set of dumbbells. 
Yeah. And you could do more with kettlebells than dumbbells, but if you want to get some dumbbells, that's fine. Um, I love having sleds in the clinic. Yeah. I don't currently have one. I hate not. Having one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. Uh, then I do like to have just a couple things that are going to get somebody's heart rate up. So I like having an assault bike in the clinic because there's just so many things like somebody comes in with an acute cervical radiculopathy. What's probably the best thing we can do for them, pump a ton of blood through their body, yeah. get their heart rate up and yeah. start diluting some of those chemical irritants. And so I like just throwing a lot of people on an assault bike and making them do intervals. Yeah. Um, and even if their legs aren't good, they can do the, the arm for whatever, if they're post ACL or something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, pull up bar, TRX straps or rings. I mean, yep. if you have that stuff and then a few bands, you, you're pretty well covered. Good. Yeah, I agree. Um, so if we're getting maybe into some of the assessment side of things, the assessment can be very detailed, obviously, depending on what you're dealing with, but do you utilize any sort of set movement assessments? Are you like an FMS user utilizer or do you just go to their pattern of dysfunction or how do you come? Definitely not FMS. Okay. Um, Okay. Let me, let me be clear. I love the functional movement screen. Yeah. And I love the SFMA that forms the foundation of a lot of the breakouts I do. I don't understand the clinical utility of the functional movement screen. When we look at the research behind it, it doesn't predict injury. They, they, they will be forthright in telling you that. So I don't understand the point in looking at a couple of, you know, arbitrary seven movements here. Yeah. I think we're significantly better off as a CrossFitter. Then what's my functional movement screen for them? Yeah. What's your air squat look like? What's your PVC pipe deadlift looks like? What's yeah. your PVC overhead squat? Yeah. And and let's start there and not look at a uh, inline lunge. I, yes. I don't know what that's going to translate to for a CrossFitter. True. Yeah. Not much. Maybe um, a catch phase of a yeah jerk or something like that. But yeah. I look at if I look at a PVC pipe deadlift, I probably have a pretty good idea of their hamstring flexibility. So I probably am not going to get a whole lot more information out of the active straight leg raise test, and I just skipped yeah. a step. Because if yeah. I do the active straight leg raise test, I'm still going to want to look at their PVC pipe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I do love the SFMA. So yeah. when I kind of want to start breaking stuff down a little bit more, that is that's a huge component of how I look at people. Um, then I want to take it to more of the specific movements that they're having issue with across yeah. a broad range of load and fatigue based on the demands of their sport and where they are from an irritability standpoint in their current plan of care. Yeah. Do you do isolation tests too? Are you like doing specific muscle testing or specific joint testing? Like how detailed are you keeping it more global and functional? Uh, so I will, Let, let's say I'm doing shoulder manual muscle testing to me. Yeah. That's just to, to determine, you know, what tissue might be slightly more sensitive. I, yeah. I don't know that I'm getting a great grade out of that. I, I don't yeah. manual muscle test. Somebody's legs would be a better example. Yeah. There, there are very few athletes that I treat. Am I going to break their leg extension? even when they're dealing with nasty patellofemoral pain. Like I can't grade that on a zero yeah, to five scale. Yeah, what's that doing for you? But it might tell me, let's say somebody's dealing with, with patellofemoral pain. Um, maybe they're, I don't see this very often, but maybe like yeah. the pezanserine yeah. area is a little bit more irritated. If I do a leg extension, that's probably going to hurt a little less than if I did a hamstring curl. Yeah. And so that might help me identify what may be a little bit more sensitive. And that's how I use it. But manual muscle testing is, is kind of low. Yeah. what I do there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're using it more yeah. to find a pathological tissue than to actually get like a strength profile. Yeah, yeah. pathological tissue group, we'll say. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, no, this is all making sense. So then let's say you do have these different barbell athletes, like a CrossFitter, a powerlifter, Olympic lifter. They're completely different sports. How do you differ maybe your assessment or treatment or training of these athletes? Like, are you 
training under more fatigue and volume with a CrossFit athlete versus a power lifter? Or how do you visualize the differences between the groups? Yeah, the CrossFitter is going to have to be more prepared for a broad spectrum of things from a, yeah. a one rep max to a 40-minute long metabolic conditioning workout. So in general, they're going to do a lot more volume in their stuff to be prepared for that versus a power lifter. Um, But yeah, that's really going to come down so much to the individual, what you say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you do much like Olympic lifting clients? Yeah. I I treat a ton of Olympic lifters. So for an Olympic lifter, we have to be much more prepared for, for dynamic loading with really heavy weights yes compared to a crossfitter that's going to be in general cycling the olympic lifts a little bit more or a power lifter that's doing stuff in a more slow and controlled manner so would you say with the olympic lifters you're doing more like part to whole training if someone's having issues like obviously you're not going to go right into a high speed heavy loaded snatch or whatnot like are you just cueing like the pool phase to start or like how do you like break down some of that training on the irritability um yeah <laughs> so i mean if you know if somebody's coming in and they're having pain with a full snatch and it's a yeah three out of ten let's send it dude i'm not going to stop you from getting fit yeah. but we do what we need to to address the specific tissues that are irritated yes if yeah. that snatch they're getting a six out of ten pain as they catch it in the bottom of the squat all right what can right. we modify if we go power you know does that decrease um mobility in range mobility stress allow you to now train with a three out of 10 pain instead then fine can you not receive a bar overhead at all then we have to address it and we go you know snatch grip deadlifts pulls unilateral strength work or just slower strength work overhead all based on the the irritability yeah yeah yeah. all that makes sense okay um so let's kind of get a little bit more specific with this so let's say we were having whatever jimmy he's a 35 year old crossfit athlete he's doing squats and he keeps having like hip impingement low back pain with with squats where do you where do you start on your like assessment of the squat what would be like day one exam look like for you so day one assessment speaking generally for somebody with low back pain and fai symptoms yeah Uh, so number one if we got low back pain and hip on board yeah even um no matter what i got to make sure that that pain is actually coming from the hip versus being referred. Yes. So from a low back perspective, we're looking at lumbar active range of motion, all directions with and without overpressure. If mm-hmm. the active range of motion hurts, we add, or hurts, we don't need to add overpressure. Yeah, There's no yeah, reason yeah. to be a jerk. Yeah, yeah. If it doesn't hurt, then that's overpressure and really yeah. challenge those tissues and see, do we reproduce the back pain? Do we reproduce the back and hip pain? Um, quadrant testing, if lumbar active range of motion is clear yeah. and you need to yeah. get more aggressive on it slump straight leg raise segmental examination and somewhere in there you know that somebody with back pain we're going to produce their back pain we possibly do a repeated motions assessment with them as well kind of depending on what i hear subjectively and then from there we kind of know all right did any of that produce their hip pain or not and if not now we move further down the chain and we start looking at the hip joint so how do we rule the hip joint in or out um Active range of motion, or excuse me, passive range of motion. That's what I typically uh-huh. do with the hip because you're not going to actively get to in ranges of the hip yeah, joint. Exactly. Uh, passive range of motion with overpressure. And, you know, if it's a true intraarticular issue, we're probably going to turn those symptoms on with passive range of motion with overpressure, yeah. favor, fader, maybe a couple other special tests like that, which to yeah. me are less about the identification of the injured tissue and more about do they produce your symptoms yes. so that I can rule that joint in or out. 
And then probably that's the situation too, when we're dealing with hip pain, where I'm going to do manual muscle testing, mm -hmm. because if we're in the right positions, when we do manual muscle testing, that's going to have very little effect on the joint versus if it was an extra articular soft tissue issue, manual muscle testing would be more likely to provoke their symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Day one's typically going to be that. Yeah. Now, maybe everything's really low irritability. Then maybe I do throw in, I'll probably always look at their squat, but maybe I do throw in a couple other more functional movements. But typically day one's about identifying the tissue, doing a trial treatment where we do some manual therapy or uh -huh. whatever we're doing. Um, and and I know in your question list was to talk about that. So I'm going to yeah. prevent myself from going <laughs> on a tangent on that right now. Yeah. We do a trial treatment. We reassess asterisk signs. And with that process, we should know that we're on the right tissue uh -huh. and we should have an idea of what they need to be doing on their own to create similar positive effects. So I know if I do, uh, if manual therapy technique I do is a, a posterior joint mobilization and yeah. they respond well to that, that improves their squat depth or their passive range of motion, hip flexion, whatever my asterisk sign is, yeah. then I know, all right, I just got to find an exercise that produces the same thing for them at home. Yes. Um, then future visits, uh -huh. As irritability comes down, we're going to get more and more specific to the functional movements that they care about. That's when we're going to start really tweaking their squat setup, their deadlift yep. setup, et cetera. During the subjective portion of that examination, I should get enough data points from them on the things that aggravate their symptoms, <coughs> the things that ease their symptoms, and the other movements that they are okay doing in the gym that don't bother their symptoms. Yes. So my yeah. evaluation form, I have a body chart, I have ags, eases, um, good, which is basically movements you can do that don't irritate yeah. your symptoms. Maybe they don't ease them, but they don't make them worse. And then yeah. my hypothesis list, yeah. um, between ags, eases and good movements, I should be able to come up with based on my clinical experience, a, a yeah. good list of exercises that they can and can't do to load these areas up. Yeah. If I know how irritable they are, you know, maybe that means, all right, we're not doing deadlifts at the gym. Maybe instead you're doing Chinese planks or bent over yeah. rows or something that loads yeah. the same muscles, but to a, an extent that your irritability is going to tolerate it more. Yeah. Maybe they said in their, their evaluation that, that conventional deads hurt sumo deadlifts don't. All right. That's sub and sumo deadlifts when deadlifts show up, yeah. Yeah. or maybe those conventional deadlifts hurt, but they're not that bad. Those symptoms don't stay around for a long time. Yeah. So we keep them in there. Yeah. So if you have someone who's needed to deload because the tissue is really sensitive, whatever the scenario may be, do you, what's like your protocol or sets and reps or timeframes for maybe getting some heart rate up? Do you say, Hey, I want you doing 20, 30 minutes of assault bike every day instead of doing your whatever high intensity interval training, or how do you kind of fill those gaps when someone's off? Yeah. So I'm always going to look at their, their workouts and yeah try to identify what the stimulus of that workout is yeah. and, and give them information. How can they as closely match that stimulus as possible at times that isn't possible, but like, yeah. I don't want to take a day that is, you know, work up to five by five deadlifts and change that to 20 minutes of intervals on an assault bike, yeah, completely yeah, yeah. different stimulus. <laughs> yeah. 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 We didn't get the point of that workout. There yeah. are times where that has to happen. Yeah. But if yeah. I can avoid that, I am. Yeah. Um, really when it comes to like, let's say somebody's super, super irritable and, and really I'm just doing like a, a blood pump is the best thing I can yep. get them to do right now. Yeah, I don't honestly really give them much guidelines other than I want you to go hard for a little while. I want you to go easy for a little while. And yeah. I want you to do that to you feel like you've done enough. Yeah. yeah. And so that gives them a lot of wiggle room for, for listening to their own body. I'm like, all right, when I was on the assault bike for 15 minutes, it felt good. Once I started to get into 25 minutes, like things were starting to get stirred up. All right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Then 
again, this person, let's just say the squat is, is painful. What are your, what are your, some of your squat regressions? I mean, obviously you can do body weight squat, but do you do like assisted squats where they're holding on a suspension trainer? Do you prop heels? Do you box squat? Yeah. Or what are your, some of your go-tos there? Um, so if I, if it's as simple as, as changing the squat variation from a front yeah. squat to a back squat, if that produces a positive effect, then that's my yeah. regression. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. My first one to go to. Um, goblet squats are great because goblet squats, it, it just allows the body to, to change how it moves a lot. You can sit yeah. back more, you can push forward more. It, it makes them really easy. The problem is you can't load a goblet squat up, but so, yeah, 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 yeah. so, you know, if you got somebody that that's a 400 pound squatter and they come in and you just sub <laughs> them out luck. for goblet squats, yeah. so that, that's a huge yeah. decrease in the load there. Yeah. Um, love elevating the heels. That helps a lot of things. Like you said, yeah. Um, and, and probably one of my most commonly used ones is a sit squat. So I have somebody sit on a very, very low surface. Let's say yeah. somebody with hip impingement, yeah. they sit on a surface. that's kind of right at where their symptoms barely start turning on. Uh-huh. We get positioned exactly how they should be in the bottom of a squat. And I have yeah. them basically do an isometric there where they have half of their weight on the ball. So it's unloaded a little bit, yeah. pressing into the ground a little bit. They yeah. lift up about an inch. They pause, they go down to 50% of the weight being back in the ball, box, chair, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. They cycle between that. And and I've had national champion Olympic lifters and powerlifters <laughs> like just sweating bullets after doing yeah. that's a five on that. Yeah. Um, and so that can be a way like we have no force in the back with that or very little. Yeah. But it lets us, you know, load the legs and challenge that bottom position of the squat. Um, I love belt squats, Spanish squats, yeah. Roman chair squats. Um, yeah. 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 Um, and I think it's probably the best form of mobility is some sort of loaded capsule or prolonged hold into like where they have stiffness in a way that doesn't hurt them. Where again, just whatever, bringing your knee to your chest over and over again is probably not going to improve your hip flexion range of motion. Eventually, you got to load the joint. Um, what about for just to keep the conversation going? What about for the like some deadlift regressions? Dowel, stick. So, so dowel or stick would be kind of yeah. for the most irritable patient. Yeah. We could go there. We yeah. can progress that up. You know, somebody that's really irritable will also tolerate Chinese planks really well, usually. Okay. So we have their upper back on a bench, their legs yeah. on another bench, and their butts kind of in the ground between it. And they yeah. extend their hips up. And it's basically a front plank, but on yeah. your back. Yes. And so it's okay. an isometric contraction of your hamstrings, your glutes, your low back. So yeah. a lot of really irritable patients will tolerate that well. You can do hip thrusts, which are just going to add a little bit of movement to kind of similar yeah. uh, exercise. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for the dogs. No worries. Um, Romanian deadlifts, bent over rows. I really like bent over rows. If somebody's yeah. kind of past Chinese planks, but not ready to Romanian deadlift or yeah. deadlift because it gets them in that hinge pattern, holding that hinge position and then rowing. So we're getting yeah. an isometric contraction of the low okay. back muscles in a hinge position. Okay. Uh, banded good mornings are great because as that person drops down into the hinge, the band tension de- decreases. So as they get to that spot where maybe they're a little bit more vulnerable, yep. there's less load. As they stand up, the load increases. Um, kettlebell deadlifts are easier to teach a lot of individuals than, than barbell deadlifts. So that's also another regression. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple articles on my website about returning about deadlifts after low back pain that people want to dive into okay. more yeah. variations I'll... that I can't think of right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll reference it. Um why do you think deadlifts are usually just so dysfunctional and tough and pain provoking? I feel like for some reason, always like the motor control education is always trickier. People usually have pain with it. Do you think it's just gross posterior chain weakness that people have from sitting all the time? What are your like general theories there? The deadlift looks easy. 
yeah the, the the movement of the bar around the knees yeah and keeping the bar as close to the hip joint as possible is challenging i think there's just a lot of little nuanced things Mm-hmm. that can really quickly take somebody's deadlift from being painful to, to a lot less. I always look at everything I do when somebody's set up with the deadlift is the further the bar is away from the hip joint, the, lo- the, the larger the moment arm is on the hip. So the more load we place on the back. Yeah. And so when I'm changing things in people's setup, I'm usually thinking of how do I minimize that moment arm so that the low back can, can transfer that force as, as efficiently as possible. And that's so why things like kettlebell like is so not, good. Yeah. Yeah. Because the kettlebell gets rid of all of that because yeah. you can basically straddle the kettlebell and yeah. it's automatically in your center of gravity. Yeah. But we might play with how far forward in front of the bar somebody's knees is or how far back they are. Really want to work on their Latin engagement with mm-hmm. the deadlift. Um, want to make sure they get a good leg drive off the ground versus somebody being in more like a, a straight leg deadlift. Yeah. Tweaking things like that can make really quick, efficient uh, changes in it. I think a lot of people that, that are actively teaching deadlifts just probably haven't practiced the deadlift enough themselves yeah. Yeah. And, and played with what happens when you do this versus this yep. and seeing how that feels good versus bad on different areas of your body. And uh, I think that would help a lot of people be able to, to, to address deadlift back pain a little bit more. So one thing I do a lot when I teach courses to other physical therapists is let's hold a barbell, let's hip hinge forward. And keep the bar on your knees. So your lats are pulling the bar to your knees versus relax your lats and let your arms just hang straight down where the bar will basically drift three or four inches forward Yeah. Yeah. and go back and forth between those two positions. And you'll feel that every time you let that bar drift forward, the amount of tension you feel in your low back goes up significantly. Yeah. And I think if more people would just grab a weight and play around with it like that and see what it feels like when you cue yourself to do certain things, that that would translate really well to clinical practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you ever bring the bar up off the ground? Like what would make you do that? Is it just like inability of being able to touch your toes? You do what makes like, you like doing a rack pull. Yeah. So versus yeah. Pulling it off the ground, you pull it elevated. So I don't, I know a lot of people use the, like, if you can't touch your toes with your knees yeah. straight, you shouldn't deadlift a bar from the ground. I'm yeah. 100% not a believer in that. Yeah. I've seen so many people that cannot get close to touching the ground, but they can still have a great deadlift setup. Yep. But if somebody is having range of motion limitations that prevent them from getting in good positioning with the bar on the ground, uh-huh. then I will absolutely raise it up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's all about liver arms and length and all that. So, yep. um, so you kind of hinted at this, but yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts on manual therapy? So how do you utilize it? What do you think its role is in the overall plan of care? Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? To me, it's just part of a trial treatment to know if you're on the right tissue, if you mobilize a joint and it has a positive effect, you know, that what they need long-term is for a similar effect to happen in that area. So I don't believe when I mobilize somebody's joint that I'm elongating the capsule or yeah. improving joint mobility long-term. It just, to me, means this is something that's probably relevant to that person's pain. And the more I find things that they can do on their own that reproduce a similar effect, the, the more likely they are to get better. Yeah. And I just hate how, we've, at least in PT, we're so dogmatic. It's either it's all or nothing. Like oh, manual yeah. therapy is the best thing in the world or you should never do it. And you can find evidence to support either way. Kind of all depends on your theory. Um, yep. Yeah. The way I describe it. One of my man- favorite quotes is, is and not or. So, <laughs> so as human beings, yeah, we, we always want to be, uh, try not to say black or white. Yes or yeah. no. Yeah. Um, 
there's a lot of gray area. There, yeah. There's a lot of benefits to combining multiple things together. Yeah. And so I like and not or. Yeah. We're going to crack your back and we're going to deadlift. It doesn't need to be <laughs> that we're only going to crack your back yeah. or we're only going to deadlift. Yeah. Um, yeah. The way I describe it is, is like we're changing maybe like neurological tension holding patterns. You're not actually changing. If I get range of motion instantaneously, I did not change your hip capsule instantaneously. I'm changing right. a holding pattern or guarding or whatnot. And then that's where the exercise comes into play to keep the changes you made. Um, yep. Okay. So then if you could sit on top of a mountain and give an announcement to all PTs across the country about rehabbing barbell athletes, what would be some like things you would encourage us to do more of, encourage us to make sure we're not overlooking X, Y, or Z. I know we briefly brought that up before, but kind of to circle back around to it. I think if I could make all PTs do one thing, it would be yeah. to work out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, no matter what setting of physical therapy you're in, the vast majority of your patients, you're writing down in your goal list to strengthen a certain tissue, certain movement pattern, whatever it is, whether we're in a skilled nursing facility or a sports clinic, you have strength goals with that individual. I don't understand how anybody can properly dose or explain to a patient what it should feel like when you do this set of X exercise, if you don't actually practice or have never practiced the principle of progressive overload yourself. Yep. Yep. I think that's the best thing physical therapists should do from a clinical outcomes standpoint. And we can go even further on that than by saying, you know, we are healthcare professionals and we talk about what's wrong with healthcare in this world. And, and I think we, all know, hopefully all know, that the answer to so many of the issues that we have in healthcare yeah. in America and across the world is people that don't eat well and don't exercise enough. Yeah. And patients don't care enough about, they don't care what the data says about exercise and, and, and dieting, right? If they cared about data, nobody would smoke. So another quote <laughs> that I love from, from, yeah. from Tim Flynn yeah. is data doesn't change people, people change people. So people get inspired by seeing other people do things yeah, that I make like them that. want to to change and yeah. i think as physical therapists we need to set the the healthcare example of that and we need to exercise so that we're setting the right example for the patients that are in front of us yeah yeah get your m&ms out of your clinic folks because at home, <laughs> do not have that in your waiting room yeah have fruit and nuts in your waiting room yes yeah um do you think there's like a, a book you'd recommend i mean you said some good like life books and like mindset things but is there like a strength and conditioning reference or two that you'd recommend? Yeah. Um, juggernaut strength, the scientific mm -hmm. principles of strength. Okay. I'm 90% sure that's the name. Of it. <laughs> um, that is written yeah. for power lifters and powerlifting coaches, yeah. but it goes through specificity, overload, fatigue management, all the different principles that you would have when putting together a solid strength and conditioning program. Yep. And if I can make that a required read for every physical therapist out there, I would, because yeah. I think if you read that one thing they do really well is kind of outline kind of four different layers of exercises, things that are super specific to your goals. So if you're a power yep. lifter, that's, that's, um, you know, the squat bench and deadlift Yep. for heavy singles. That's your goal is to uh, bench squat and deadlift max weight for one rep. What's a little less specific to that is you know, your 10 rep max bench press still related, but not super related. Take the step down from that. What else could that be? It could be your incline press. 
a different movement, still train some of the same movement patterns. What gets even further away from that? Yoga. Like yeah. doing <laughs> yoga doesn't help you as a power lifter. Yeah, yeah. But I think if we all went through that process, every time we prescribe an exercise to somebody, we would do significantly better off. So think of a physical therapist in acute care. They're, yeah. they're getting somebody out of bed and moving them. If that's an individual that needs to be able to walk up an entire flight of stairs, walk you know, a block from a parking lot into their yeah. apartment, whatever that is, like we need to have that in mind of that's the stimulus we're working towards. What am I going to do that's going to be specific enough to that goal to actually create those changes? Yeah. yeah. Is sitting on the edge of the bed and doing 20 leg extensions going to actually produce that or is it so far down that continuum of specificity that it's not going to get that done i love yeah. that book yeah yeah great okay um all right so last question that i ask everybody is uh theme is optimizing your capacity on any and all levels we talked about barbell athletes what, what are you working on for yourself is there something you're working on fitness wise work wise and this year this year has been a shit show but this year in general i'm trying to get better yeah so this year for me um probably three things that I'm doing the most of number one, tracking my macros, which I've never done before. I've never tracked my, my caloric intake. Are you just um, writing that down or how are you doing it? Um, what's the app called? My fitness pal. Okay. Something like okay. that. Okay. Um, for me, it just has kept me a little bit more strict about what I do. I've, yeah. I've never been in this situation until now that I'm 32, that I need to pay attention <laughs> to what I ate. Yeah. Maybe I would have been a lot fitter if I'd actually done that before now, but, yeah. but 32 hit a little bit harder and uh, <laughs> I got a little softer than I've ever been. Yeah. And it, it takes the accountability of checking my macros for me yeah, to I actually like be budging the needle yeah. the right direction there. Yeah. Um, I have had this for a long time. Whoop band. Yeah. Um, I haven't worn it in about, honestly, it's been close to a year since I've worn it uh -huh. and I just started wearing it again about a week ago. So whoop band tracks, heart rate variability, yeah. sleep recovery, yeah. and, and overall stress or strain. Yeah. And I'm, I'm starting to pay attention to that again, because it's one of those things that just reminds me when I make poor choices and, and kind of keeps me a yeah, little bit more honest. accountable to myself yeah. Yeah. on what I do. Yeah. Um, and then um, I have started this year or, or lately, Mm -hmm. I'm adding, so I go to a CrossFit gym. Yeah. Um, I've started adding in 15 minutes of extra work every day on the specific areas of weakness that I have. Yeah. Which I'm getting after those things that need the most attention. It's hard to do when you're busy and you got things going on. You just need to get in and out with your workouts, but yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of what you said there is holding yourself accountable. And I feel like that's what we as PTs, that's probably our biggest role with clients is holding them accountable to actually take charge. Um, yep. yeah. Um, all right. Well, appreciate it. Learned a bunch. Uh, I know you're busy. So again, appreciate you taking the time and I'll post this up, but if people want to, uh, follow you, I mean, you kind of reference some of your things, just go to barbellphysio.com or what are some ways they can see your stuff? So the barbellphysio.com is my, my personal site and you can yeah. find a lot of different articles on there and some of the topics that we discussed. Um, for physical therapists wanting to dive significantly deeper into this stuff, yeah. you go to uh, www.ice.physio. Yep. Uh, on there, you'll find clinical management of the fitness athlete. So it's three courses that we teach that really dive into uh, in more depth than all of these principles that we talked about today. So you can check out those two of those courses are online. One is live. Um, but you can also uh, on, on the Institute of Clinical Excellence, we have a lot of very free resources for you. So yeah. like that. Um, that, that ebook on strength equipments on that website. Mm -hmm. You can also sign up on that website for our hump day hustle or on my website for what I call the Friday five, 
where okay. either of those every week you'll get delivered uh, some of the best pieces of content that I found or the Institute of Clinical Excellence has found yeah. to help improve your clinical practice and knowledge base or on ICE every single day of the week, we do a podcast episode, no 9 a.m. Um, it's on a different topic every day. So yeah. Fridays, for example, our fitness athlete Fridays where myself or one of my other uh, lead faculty members will discuss barbell athletes, running athletes, et cetera, and, and different things around their treatment assessments, yeah. things like that. So we do leadership days, we do geriatric days, we do business days. So uh -huh. tons of different topics there are things that we cover and, and that's free. Is ICE teaching live courses right now with COVID? Or are they back to doing that? Yeah. Oh, we're back, man. Good. We're back. Good. I'm excited. Good. Going to Denver good. this weekend. Oh, sweet. Awesome. Well, again, yep. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, have a good rest of your day. Awesome. Thanks, Nicholas. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Our goal is to help individuals like you learn practical knowledge you can apply today. If you want more information about how you can improve your capacity, visit our website at capacitypt.com. We have tons of info, including blogs, exercise videos, ebooks, and more. We're soon to offer services such as mentorship for clinicians and trainers, as well as online rehab and training. Stay tuned. If you liked this episode, it would mean the world to us to leave a review. Again, our goal is to help and influence as many people as possible, and the best way to do that is through word of mouth. Leave us a review, tell your friends about it, shoot us an email with your feedback. We wish everybody the best. Expand your capacity.